welcome to Living Hormoniously, an ever-expanding revolution of women, embracing their bodies and their extraordinary natural rhythms to enhance all aspects of life. Joining us today is beautiful Irish singer-songwriter Anya Terrell. Anya's been living in Australia for the past 10 years. She's just recently released a very potent track called We Call You Now, and it also features some of the lost language of her Gaelic heritage. So it's a really powerful track. It's almost like a call to arms. Today, Anya's going to be sharing uh, with us her journey about living in a country with such repression of female rights and lots of other things too. Anya, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Tell me what brought you to Australia? Uh, I came out at the time of the global financial crisis, actually. And it was, yeah, just not a lot of work in Ireland. And uh, I had two young, I had a newborn baby and a young um, toddler at the time. And sort of was like, what is the future holding for us in Ireland right now? And kind of thought we'd be out here for a year or two. And then that turned into 10. <laughs> Why Australia though? Um, the I had never been here ever um, and it was just more where there was work at the time. My, my The kid's dad got sponsorship to come out here for work so that was the yeah, that was why Australia it was just random, a random point on a map. And so, okay, we're going there. You didn't just see in some travel agent a nice holiday <laughs> brochure of the resort that is Australia <laughs> and go, oh, look at those white beaches. I want to go there. Well, I have to admit, Home and Away is still the most watched show <laughs> in Ireland. Are you kidding? No joke. It's the highest ratings in Ireland of any TV show. So. Oh, my goodness. That is terrifying. Yeah. So when you came to Australia and you'd been, I presume that you would have seen some mm-hmm. Home and Away episodes. How did we stack up against Home and Away? I like immediately. I was like, oh my God, there's the dresses. Everyone's in Home and Away. This is definitely a resort. And I, I think I was saying to you earlier, everyone's questions about, you know, just kind of like, you know, it, talking about the weather and barbecues. And I was like, Alf is about to like just come out from the corner at any stage. This is just like really, really strange. And they were just all so excited that an Irish person had come to the resort. And, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what I, I want to get into the gritty stuff pretty pretty quickly mm. because that's what we want to be doing at Living Harmoniously is obviously the focus is changing the narrative around the female experience and with good and positive narrative around uh, the female physiology, we also improve female mental health, mm. which is an enormous issue for both genders. So I want to ask you firstly about arriving in Australia and what your experience was uh, or your reflections were and what you were seeing, your observations uh, in terms of what were you witnessing in Australia in terms of masculine and feminine culture? Oh, wow. Well, coming from Ireland where it's definitely um, a very repressed and oppressed version of female sexuality and femininity is, is in a very defined box I found that there was more expressions here in Australia like in general there was a lot more freedom around having conversations being uh, outwardly outspoken about some more taboo topics in Ireland that you just wouldn't be speaking about and um, so yeah I, I found it in in some ways um, a lot more freeing than than growing up in Ireland 
and having you know coming into my sexuality in Ireland and and having children in Ireland I, I had my third child here in Australia and it was a beautiful home birth and incredible experience and my two childbirth experiences in Ireland were horrific lack of choice lack of listening yeah so I I really appreciated being able to design my own birth you know the midwife I was explaining to her kind of how my first two births went and her face just went white with the shock of what was just completely normal for women in Ireland in terms of childbirth. Can you talk me through those two births and how they differentiated from that beautiful home birth situation that you had here? Yeah, so I mean, the the choice to home birth in Ireland is not a choice unless you live within three kilometers from a hospital. That in, in for a first instance was like a really beautiful experience to be able to have that here and the freedom to have that. My first childbirth was at a very big hospital in Dublin and it was a, you know, very much run by the nuns in in that way even though there were midwives and doctors and everything involved it was very much a very strict you know how you're feeling or what you're expressing to them wasn't really taken into account it was just like oh yeah that's how you that's fine and you know you're just shoved off into this and you're given gas even if you don't want gas and you know episiotomies on both my children without either being asked or or or, or having a conversation about it just all of a sudden being cut. My second birth, I, I did try to do, do it through a brand new midwife program that was going on, but the midwives were there with you for your consultations, which was incredible. But then in the childbirth experience, it was exactly the same as the other one. You mm. get put into the hospital system, how you're feeling or what you're trying to express about how how the birth is going for you is just never never part of the and all they want to do is give you drugs or or something I really didn't want to have I wanted to have natural births with them and so it was a fight all the way through I wasn't allowed to you were allowed to use water up until birth and then you weren't allowed once you were a certain number of centimeters dilated you weren't allowed to be in a shower or a bath or anything so with my third I had a water bath a water birth at home and and it was just such a beautiful instinctual I I think that's it like the experience allowed for my instincts in a safe hands of a practitioner who knew what she was doing but my instincts were taken into account whereas the two hospital experiences in Ireland were just like your instincts and your feelings and how you're doing don't matter this is the train of how we do things and this is how you're going to do it how do you think that Ireland got to that place where a woman's powerful intuition and instinct was removed from the process it's been a long long history of doing that to women I think as a country after colonization the church became a place where we could practice some version of culture and the church kind of became a culture and the we kind of swapped the colonizers for the patriarchy of the church and the catholic church you know just in every corner of it (laughs) has has not much time for women or Mm. women's reproductive rights women's bodily things women's uh, decisions uh, women as authority women as designers of their own rights you know uh, old 
pagan laws and and tribal ways in Ireland were incredibly matriarchal. I mean, women could own property. Women had equal say. Incredible. Uh, system that we had prior to colonization and, and women were not lesser and, and they were very much um, uh, very much as powerful as men within society and so to see within one generation which is what happened in Ireland you know we lost language culture and everything within one just one generation and then I think I feel like as sort of a safety thing, we clung on to the church as this. And the church were clever, you know, they kind of aligned with some of the pagan calendar and kind of let us keep some things that were very Irish about how we did things. Mm. So they kind of sold it. (laughs) They're good marketing, I think. It's potentially as well because that historically pre-colonisation that the women in Irish culture were strong, did hold Mm. this equal space and perhaps sometimes in ceremony and ritual even higher Mm. uh, places of importance that perhaps the suppression that comes with colonisation that's happened all over the world was swifter and more dramatic in terms of its relationship with women than uh, perhaps other places. Mm. Yeah, very, very good point. You know, I mean, the Ireland is named Era in Irish and, and Era is named after Eru, our goddess of Ireland. So, I mean, in formation, Ireland is we refer to her as a her, mm. you know, that the country is always referred to as her. And in through all writing and poetry, dating way before colonization and everything, you know, that's the way it was spoken about. So mm. I suppose that would have that would have been something that they tried to erase in the, in that process. So bringing it back to you directly, I mm. want to get into the nitty gritty questions about you and your relationship with your cycle. You're also a mum who's got two daughters. So mm. you're part of this ongoing line of how we pass on this mantle of this this red thread, this sacred mm. space. Do you remember the first time that you bled? Uh, yeah, I do. I was very late actually listening to your other podcast. So I was like, God, I was the same. I was about 16 when I got my cycle. And um, I, but uh, unlike, is it Talia? Yeah, unlike her, I, I, I kind of just thought something was wrong with me and um, didn't know what was wrong with me. Everyone else had their cycle and I didn't. And my younger I had a sister a year and a half younger and I was kind of like, I'm supposed to get it and then she's supposed to get it, you know. And <laughs> Did she actually get yeah. hers before you? No, but very soon after mine, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I remember a time where she, she actually she ate too many beetroots and she had red <laughs> red wee and I remember she called up to tell I was away from her I don't know where I think I was in Ireland at the time my mom lived in America so we were back and forth between Ireland and America growing up and um I think she rang me and she was like I got my period and I was just mortified like <laughs> what is wrong with my women bits like <laughs> but it just was beetroot so were you actually <laughs> raised predominantly by your dad in Ireland uh no uh, by my mum I mean my mum did raise us our early childhood was in Ireland but I when she moved back to America you know in in um I was about six or seven she moved back to America and we went back we went over to America with her but I just never even as a little child settled into American life so we would go back on the summers to dad and it always just felt like 
home there but mm. actually soon after I got my period I was about 17 when I moved back to Ireland full-time and went to university and did everything over there so were you with your mum in America yeah. when you had that first cycle mm. you were yeah so when you got when you had that first cycle what was the experience like for you did you feel relatively educated around that mm. or was there some shock or was there some I mean obviously you were happy because you got it before your little <laughs> sister got it but yeah what, what were the feelings for you around that first bleed I think my mom was, she's a very, you know, she was a feminist and very much about talking about all that stuff with us. Um, the general narrative in Ireland at that time was very much not talking about that stuff. And I think she really, she recognized that as well and tried to kind of instill a strong sense of womanhood in, in both me and my sister. But yeah, no, I, I remember just being like, finally, I have it and I'm part of the club, mm. you know, because all my friends had it. And I think I was at the stage where I was sort of even pretending that I had it mm. just so that I <laughs> just so that I felt part of it, you know. But, you know, with my mom, it was a celebration kind of thing and kind of a, a yeah, it was very healthy I suppose, in a way. It's such a beautiful thing that that was available to you because mm. I imagine when you come through what had happened in Ireland where the rhetoric around women and women's rights had dramatically shifted from what it had been before mm. uh, colonisation, that it would have been very easy for some of that very oppressive rhetoric to filter into a very suppressed and negative narrative for uh, a generation or perhaps mm. even generations of young Irish women. Do you feel like any of that touched you definitely you know I think my mom was so um outspoken about a lot of things I mean she she was very early on would tell us you know around periods and stuff like she would smuggle tampons into Ireland because tampons were illegal because they were seen as like sexual objects even to this day I I, I said this in in a, I did the vagina monologues here and and I remember saying it in that and people kind of their mouths dropping you know even when you go when you go to a, a pharmacy you'll you'll get like a chemist you'll get tampons no problem like but if you're like at a petrol station out in the you know middle of nowhere or whatever like you might find a pad if you're lucky but like a lot of places still it's still left over you know that a tampon is Tampons and condoms were, you know, illegal and banned. The pill banned, you know. I mean, I was, I remember, because I came into my sexuality in, back in Ireland and I was at one of the clinics, that the first women's clinics in Dublin that, that opened up a women's health clinic. And there were people picketing outside every time you go in. And that's because the pill had become legal, you know. I mean, a, a few years before I needed to use it. It was legalized. But and then with my mom and dad, they got divorced, but they couldn't be divorced in Ireland. And, and when the divorce became legal, they were one of the first to be divorced. And they actually became like a news story mm. <laughs> because us four kids were actually we were null and void. And that's how the church looks at children that were no longer with parents that were married. So Growing up in Ireland, we were the only family anywhere around us, anyway, within our cousins, anywhere that, that had divorced parents to begin with. So mum was very, she was very tapped into how Irish culture continued that narrative to, to women. And she was very much, 
about ending that with with us. You must have then in a lot of moments potentially been having conversation with your friends Mm. who were raised by two Irish parents where you were having to filter in some of these more progressive narratives um, from your mum into the conversations you were having with them. Well, you know, to be honest, now those conversations are happening. The lid got blown off two years ago with the repeal movement where we fought for um, to repeal the Eighth Amendment, which the Eighth Amendment came in in the 80s and it, it was brought in to make the life of an, uh, um, a fetus more important than the life of a woman. So at all costs, it is to save the fetus and a w- woman's rights to life is is less than. And it was a very dangerous law for lots of reasons. I mean, you know, the choice to have an abortion or not is, you know, is 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 every woman's right, but actually a lot of the times it was even in very complex medical situations. Women women died of septicemia and all sorts of really curable like in any other country in the world that would have never happened, but in Ireland it happened, you know. And um and so the, this long battle to repeal the eighth took this monumental movement, which was, you know, there are women fighting for it from my mum's generation of women, you know, and then two years ago it was repealed. And the first woman that kind of spoke out about her experience of why she needed to have an abortion, because in, in Ireland you'd have to travel to England to have an abortion. So in any society abortions are happening it's just whether they're happening safe and legally and so they were happening in ireland at the rate of any other place but women were either ordering any legal drugs or they were having to travel to the uk and get on a flight you know make up some story to the community why they're going to england go into these sterile places and then have to get on a plane back to ireland through the airports in those really vulnerable states and and it started with one woman's story and then all these women started telling the stories and I feel like that is the first time in my knowledge of the media and also in small groups like of women that women started talking about women's business the conversation started happening on the radios and on tv and there was huge backlash i mean massive you know and and a lot of people really not wanting that conversation to happen but because that conversation has happened lots of other conversations are happening with women but I can say growing up and definitely like in university years and mothers groups and and things like that the conversations among women was very much like you didn't go deep into that stuff even miscarriages like different stuff it's just like not a place of conversation because just as a society we didn't hold space for those conversations to happen so when I moved here that that was something I really noticed that there is this freedom of expression I suppose in 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 women talking about women's stuff I remember being about 16 years of age hearing a woman on the radio her name was Helen Razor she worked for Triple J which is obviously where I went on to Mm. work as a broadcaster but I remember her saying the word period on the radio and I remember just in hearing her say the word 
was incredibly liberating for me. And there wasn't a lot of discussion in my house and potentially not in my friendship group either in retrospect when I remember that moment. But that it was okay to talk about periods. And Mm. it wasn't just always like your rags. I don't know if you had that word in Ireland, but in Australia (laughs) it was your rags. I don't (laughs) even know where that came from. But um, it was it was quite crass anyway. If it was discussed at all, it was it was discussed in quite a, a yeah, crass wow. way. So these moments for women and particularly young women where there's any instance of menstruation being discussed, particularly if they're not used to that, can unlock doors of self-expression, mm. self-validation, better mental health beyond what any other person could possibly imagine. Tell me about the rhetoric of your own cycle as it as it carried through. Have you had quite a close and and connected relationship with the functionings of your own form? No, like after listening to your podcast, I suppose I was like, oh God, I need to take more note of all that. And actually that Lucy Peaches that I told you about, I I saw her perform my greatest period ever at a festival in um, outside of Perth a couple of years ago. And I was like, wow. And she in the most beautiful way, sort of tracked week one, week two, week three, week four, and how you're feeling in all those places. And I know she's just released a book on it. So I I keep in the back of my head being like, I need to get that book because I feel like I'm listening to older women that I know going through menopause and being like, I don't want to miss out on, on this. I've always had a really irregular, erratic period. And I've always had very, very very hard to track ever I've never been able to the pill has always affected me massively so I haven't been able to use that form of birth control and then um yeah so your cycle just bang, fluctuates out the kids yeah. <laughs> so quite a few years there was breastfeeding and pregnancy where there yeah. would have been no cycle yeah and there so with that erratic nature you mean so sometimes you'd have a really short cycle sometimes yeah. you'd have a really long cycle and was it- never sort of on 28 days I kind of you know sort of would envy people I mean I I, I use that app for ages to kind of try to be like oh maybe it's just in my head and then it's just like you know five weeks here three weeks <laughs> one of the so. one of the things that we do with living harmoniously really in depth is we we talk a lot about the four phases and the mm. reason that that's important is this is a perfect example where the calendar you may as well just burn that yeah. because it's not serving you mm. there's no 28 day cycle so in getting to know yourself as an individual what are the effects of particular phases of the cycle on me mm. then you know oh I'm ovulating even though I might have only bled a few days ago so for someone else that might mean they're not going to ovulate for seven days but because your cycle's everywhere you might ovulate three days after the bleed but there'll be certain characteristics or things that you experience that help you to identify Mm. very individually oh I'm ovulating I know for me this is a ridiculous example but I give this example often to women in my clinic I know when my bleed is coming, I'm quite erratic as well because I'm going into the perimenopause phase where everything's Mm. just like up in the air. I know when my period's coming because when I have to draw my stick figures, of which I draw thousands of stick figures, (laughs) (laughs) who knew that would be a career, right? So my stick figures start to become absurd. So the last few days of my cycle, just before I'm about to bleed, like really big nose, really disproportionate <laughs> legs. I put an arm over there that yeah. can't even go over there. And I all of a sudden, I'll, there'll be that moment of like, I'll see the stick figures yeah. and I'll know I'm going to bleed in three days. Yeah, I do actually something similar where I just, 
I get like really kind of foggy brained and sort of like overwhelmed by stuff and then I'll get my period and I'll be like oh that's why <laughs> I'm like really just overwhelmed by whatever it wasn't overwhelming before becomes this really like and actually as you were saying that I remembered it because the pill didn't suit after my second daughter I went to do one of these which I thought was just tracking your ovulation but it was a really religious catholic group in ireland i can't remember what they're called now i've totally blocked it out of my memory but like you track all the mucus and all the like changes in it and um that's very progressive for a religious group i would say very well because contraception wasn't legal the Mm. church had to yeah provide a way train them up in something else right so there was this thing and um and i got pregnant on it and the woman was like that's impossible but I flew actually I flew to New Zealand with and and back and I'm always really affected by flying my cycle I have no idea why but always have been Mm. like either it brings it on or it makes it really late and um and so I said to her oh it might have been the flying and she was just like it was more like it was Jesus you know that was the only (laughs) answer and I was like that kind of put me off that experience (laughs) or the sex (laughs) No, it was Jesus as well, right? It wasn't the sex. It was the holy, you know, <laughs> incredible immaculate conception. But um, I, I think that experience really put me off, like, tracking stuff after that. I was like, oh, I should just go back to the pill and make things easier. Like, that's mm. how it's supposed to be. And And then... I tried a different version of the pill after that. It didn't work either. I got pregnant actually on the pill. So I've actually had two children conceived. Okay, that might have been Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. That's quite the feat. (laughs) And then one on the Jesus method. So like all three, whoops, there's a surprise. There's some things that are beyond us no matter what we do. There's children that want to push through. They're coming through. I'm sure Talia will do an entire episode at one point about uh, vaginal mucus. She just loves to talk about that. And the clear, the cloudy. I had all the diagrams. She gives like the moisturizer the clad glue example yeah. between your fingers like this <laughs> yes, she's, oh God, yeah. it's actually she's made me extremely enthusiastic about it but in the context of the human body that's the when you start to really get into it mm. just looking at the mucus is like it Incredible. shows the extraordinary nature of the human body yeah. that sometimes that um, mucus is acting as a roadblock where it's saying it's not the time so mm. it actually roadblocks the sperm and when it starts to change in viscosity it's actually acts like a highway so it's like oh, okay wow. yeah. we'll remove the roadblock now we'll carry you through and yeah, well, uh, the nuns didn't tell me that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not part of my I education. can't imagine learning about <laughs> vaginal mucus from the nuns oh my gosh um, I'm surprised experience. you can still even talk about any of this now to this day it's extraordinary <sighs> so as I mentioned at the beginning you are a mum who's also raising two daughters mm. tell me about the narrative around the cycle and around the extraordinary nature of their female bodies within your household yeah, I'm, neither of them have started yet. And I, I really want to, I've heard about kind of some of those red tent mother-daughter weekends up here. And my eldest is, you know, I'm just going to twist her arm and make her <laughs> go. Because I think it's really important. I think it's like, a, you know, as I've talked to them, I, I was like, it's a celebration. Like it's not a, you know, it's not a thing to... I, I don't want them to have shame or guilt or any of that stuff around it. I was lucky in what my mom gave me, but then I also saw 
how so many other women related to it within uh, Irish culture so um yeah so I suppose that 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 is where I would like to sort of see myself with it I can see the changing hormones and the different things in both of them now and the developing and all that so they're gonna kill me if they ever hear this <laughs> it's so <laughs> amazing developing and it, it's it's beautiful to watch and I think like I, I actually imagine the other day I was like wow you know I can imagine that in a society like Ireland back in those times which is changing now like I mean Ireland is really changing at the moment at very fast rapid pace and um I imagine for women that would have been kind of confronting you know like oh don't show that don't show it. like you know you can see kind of where as a society where you weren't where that isn't celebrated honored or even legal like it's mm. just like where where your expressions of your femininity are so controlled and so whatever you can see how women would then like at the ages where my daughters are where they're kind of burgeoning into young women where you would kind of start you know trying to control or indirectly shame that what's something that astonishes me over and over again is this knowledge of whether it's forgetting or this deliberate suppression of the reality that this cycle is the enabling of all human life Mm -hmm. regardless of gender so Mm -hmm. every single human being has to come out of the womb (laughs) of a woman so the cycle is the initiator of any propagation of the human species, regardless wow. of gender. So in that, there's a certain responsibility for all people to nurture and nourish the carriers of that cycle. And for women also to support men in some of the challenges of what it means to be a man yeah. and carrying a lot of testosterone in the system, how we work together mm. to support each other, not just being these self-contained islands of gender. Yeah. This is what I have to look after. This is my responsibility. This is what you have to look after how can we integrate to use what's the strength of my own physiology my endocrine system how can that support you and how can the strengths of yours support me and within the household here I'm really lucky that I mean my husband has no choice but to be incredibly (laughs) nuanced in all of this stuff because he's living and breathing this through the living harmoniously world and uh, he's we've also got two daughters learning for him to step forwards when I have to step back where there's Mm. not even any choice for me my energy's going down my brain fog is elevating Mm. that's the time where he can start to see you need to step forwards and I think in this as we start to expand the narrative for our girls and we normalize for our boys and we do all of those things we're going to see a much easier yeah you know play of dynamics Mm. it's not even going to be a thing and that's got to be it's got to be the goal well it's got to be healthy for all other areas of of female male interaction as well I mean I know right I'm in a beautifully supportive relationship right now and it's the first time a man has ever in a relationship sort of noted where I am in my cycle or kind of been aware even sometimes more aware than me Mm. (laughs) and um and what that means in our like relationship is like it's just like amazing and I I think for for I think back at other relationships where that wasn't and where there was violence in the relationship and where there was really unhealthy dynamics and when you have that kind of forceful um version of of masculinity not understanding the femininity or our natural cycles or who we are or or even what the period is or you know like when it's just really not on the radar it can, 
I feel it can trickle out into things like consent and things like enjoying intercourse and things like that are you know how do we have conversations around women with consent how do we have them with boys around consent and that that's boys also understanding like what a woman's physiology is all about and and how that works and how you know the four phases like you're saying affect all that so it can only it, it can only I think bring about change in in lots of other dynamics as well one thing it so beautifully does exactly what you're just saying is when there's an awareness say for a young man or an older man around where the hormones are going to be facilitating a certain amount of libido because whether a woman or a man want to have a child or not still the fundamental purpose of that (laughs) cycle is to is to um, recreate life so whether or not you want to have children or not have children that's still the fundamental nature of that cycle that's why it's in existence so there's going to be certain times within that cycle where the conditions are more right for conception to happen and of course with the extraordinary beautiful um, intelligence of the form it also means that in order for that to happen libido increases that mojo Mm. increases to be in line with the right conditions to conceive that are happening within the body and there's other times within the cycle where there's not really much chance of conception so there's also that chance unless you have just generally a high sex drive where a woman's like nah (laughs) I don't feel like it and it's got nothing to do with the man so the man doesn't have to feel ashamed or feel hurt or feel any of those things that can lead then to some unhealthy situations around conflict within a relationship let alone that next stage of consent the understanding can remove for both parties self-shame or confused shame for a partner and for women we've been sort of taught like again I go back to my experience in Ireland where you're like taught in every step of the way to ignore your instinct or or that intuition within your feminine body and whether that's in in like with your period or whether that's with childbirth or whether that's with like in relationships you know I stayed in a relationship for way too long because you know even though my parents had been divorced it is the narrative is you know you stick through through thick and through thin and and even though your intuition is saying this isn't right you're like as a woman this is what I'm supposed to do to keep the family together and you know like all those unwritten rules that get kind of placed down upon you you soak them all in as Mm. as young girls and and then the older you get like you they become entrenched until you start picking the layers apart there's one other thing that I did want to touch on which is in relation to the practicalities of your you know you live this career that is obviously being a singer-songwriter you were touring a lot previously to this and I'm sure you will be touring again and uh, there's this performative space in which you dwell but there are times in the cycle where being performative is not naturally Mm. where we want to be we want to be more inward how do you balance out your life as a performative artist and your own inner rhythm I mean I suppose for me I've been a single mum for for many years while being a performer so a lot of the times it was actually balancing it around the kids you know and um and the same I suppose could be said with the cycle a lot of people are like how do you do it how do you do that how do you do that and and really I just always kind of go for the next true thing and whatever I'm doing now it just seems to be the way that things unfold 
And not to say that there haven't been times where I've had to, you know, take naprogesic and jump on stage (laughs) and still do it. But I do know that there is like there are certain times and certain performances where you're I'm so connected. I'm so there and I'm so within that space. And those have to somehow be related to where Mm. where I am as well, because even with songwriting, there are times where it just lands in my lap and it's this beautiful intuitive thing and I, and I don't think I can remember any time like hugging a hot water bottle and being able to write an amazing song at the same time <laughs> so so whilst I don't track my my period in that way to it but I know Lucy Peaches has talked about this in her work how like she knows when she can be in that creative buzz space yeah she knows where in her cycle that is but I'm sure same as her she's had to get up on stage in times where she's like hasn't been um but yeah I mean I loved in her performance that I saw and what I've seen online she always says what day she is in her cycle when Mm -hmm. she's (laughs) I was like imagine just like getting up on stage and being like listen I'm like ovulating and I'm about to like so if I forget stuff tonight (laughs) like this is how it is but how powerful if we were all as women able to actually say and do that absolutely that is exactly what this is all about is being able to say you know what it's day one of my period (laughs) i can't give you anything right now i don't even know my own name am i even wearing pants tune in next week talia and i are going to be catching up for one of our info episodes we're going to be focusing on postpartum that really delicate and intricate time post bub there's a lot going on during that time hormonally and of course that links us emotionally not to mention the presence of a brand new human being in arms until then enjoy your extraordinary body Mm